The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. invite you to take a copy of the scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath a chair close by you. It's on page 448. Uh, If you don't own a copy of the scripture, feel free to take that with you. Or if you don't have a version, it's the English standard version that I preach from. You're welcome to take that uh, to use to follow along uh, with us. So we'll be looking at Psalm 1 in just a moment. We titled this series, Selah, Studying the Psalms with heart and mind. That word Selah was in the text that Pastor Chad read earlier. It's a word that is unique to the Psalms in the Bible. It means to pause. Some people think it meant a rest in the music. It means to reflect, pause and reflect, think, or, or and, pause and rejoice. So that's why I say studying the Psalms with mind and heart. So our goal, however long it takes to preach through the Psalms, we'll take breaks. Somebody asked me in first service, my middle schooler said, oh no, dad, we're starting the Psalms. How long is that going to take? I said, well, just tell her about the time she gets married, we'll be finished. We're going to do one Psalm a week. And what we want to do is to find out how do we read the Psalms? How do we interpret the Psalms? How do we apply the Psalms primarily in worship and prayer. So as we start this series, the first 10 weeks, growth groups are gonna be working through a book by Donald Whitney called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. To really grasp and to utilize the, the Psalter, the Psalms, you need to practice the spiritual disciplines. So we'll be encouraging and walking through those each week. I would encourage you to buy a copy of this book and to read through it to help prepare you for the discussion and the time that you share together uh, in growth group. So we come to Psalm 1. I want to invite you to please stand. And as you're standing, before we start, let's look at the psalm. Just look at it. Do you see there's three stanzas? You see that? Three sections. So think like a song. Here's the three stanzas. Notice how it's written. It's not sentences going across the page. What does that look like from your past in school? A poem. It's poetry. It doesn't rhyme. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. So those of you who are looking for that, you're missing it. But watch how I read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Oh God, will you reveal those who are walking in the counsel of the wicked? Will you open the eyes of those who are standing in the way of sinners who are sitting in the seat of scoffers? Will you plant trees today and bring a delight to the law of the Lord, resulting in fruit that is yielded? May the emptiness of sin be seen. And may the future judgment which comes cause us to flee to Christ and believe. Speak now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So here's the main idea. The way of the wicked is death, but the way of the righteous is life. So this psalm is a comparison and a contrast. We're comparing and contrasting the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. One leads to death, the other leads to life. So this text, this this psalm is a warning and a comfort. And it carries us into Psalm 2. We'll explain that more next week. Psalm 1 and 2 serve as an introduction. They're a foundation to the rest of the Psalms. What you see here, you apply throughout the reading and the study of the rest of the Psalms. So let's look at these two ways. First, the way of the wicked. Now, what I want you to see here in your mind, I want you to think there's a progression of sin. There's a progression that is revealed. It begins first with conforming. It walks in the counsel of the wicked. Now, I gotta define wicked because here's the way you good Southerners and those of you who are not from the South, you joined in with us. We would define wicked as people who would do something heinous like murder or rape. So we better define it biblically. The word wicked means guilty. So let's tie it together with Romans 3. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So how many of us are guilty? So when we think wicked, we need to include ourselves here. We are all guilty. We walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Those who are living in sin, living contrary to the word of God. The wicked live by their own counsel and they desire others to join. Now this is as old as the garden. As the serpent came to Eve, listen to what he said. Did God actually say? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. God didn't say not to touch it. He said not to eat it. It's the first way the counsel of the wicked begins. You know, the Bible's an ancient book. It's an old book and you can't really trust what's there. It's got the errors of men and all these things in it. You know, did did God really say that? Then it goes further. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for the God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Here's the lie of the counsel of the wicked, friend. We've all believed it. We have all in this room believed it at one point in time, and some of us are believing it right now. God's withholding from you, and there's something better out there. And if you'll just cast off this religious way, and 
you'll go out there and pursue it. You'll find what God is keeping you from. Now, before I move off, I, I want you to notice in the garden the centrality of the tree. I just want you to think about that, the tree. Now, once the mindset of a person translates into a walk in the counsel of the wicked, they progress quickly to standing in the way of sinners. That means that their behaving leads to belonging, that they take on a lifestyle that has companions. Standing here means a firm decision, that they are standing in the way, the conformity of sinners. You see, conformity is necessary if you're gonna continue in the counsel of the wicked. It is expected. You have to do what others do. Now, the great lie is you're doing your own thing. But quite honestly, you've joined in with others who are dictating what you do. Now, this leads very quickly to self-reliance, to where you sit in the seat of scoffers. The word scoffer means a mocker, a person who, who wants others to join in their way of thinking and living that mocks the very word of God. This week, the pastors were at a conference called Together for the Gospel. Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, was speaking. And in, in that time, he talked about how our culture has moved beyond mocking the Word of God now to assigning immorality to the Word of God. You say, well, what do you mean? It means that we as Bible-believing Christians are now on the wrong side of what is right. Have you noticed how moral it is now to grab hold of and believe the tenets of sexual revolution? And if you don't believe those things, you are an immoral person. It's not gonna be long till laws are passed, friends. And you as a believer are gonna have choices to make. Whether you will violate the word of God or you will violate the law of the land. This has been true throughout history. As immorality begins to reign and become rampant, God's people are faced with choices. Are you going to be on the wrong side of what is right? Now, here's what's happening. As we as pastors are counseling families in this church, we're seeing it happen here. We're seeing young people who grew up in the life of this church, not all of them, but we're seeing some of them. We're seeing young people who grow up in the life of this church who have come home and accused their parents of immorality. How dare you raise me like this? How dare you confine me? It's not just a rejection of Christianity. It's a hostility toward it, an anger toward it. Jude said this, in the last times there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. I've asked young people this many times. Is that you don't believe the Bible or the Bible's keeping you from what you want? Which is it? And if you don't believe it, what are you so mad about? What are you so angry about? What's got you so fired up? People wanting to fulfill their godly passions, quickly, ungodly passions, quickly take the seat of the scoffers. But watch what's next. There's an emptiness. Now it's a confident emptiness. But he says, the wicked are not so, verse four, they are like the chaff that the wind drives away. 
Derek Kidner said, the chaff is the ultimate and what is rootless, weightless, and useless. Now, you're not farmers in this room and I dare say you don't know exactly what this illustration means. So a grain of wheat, which is a hard kernel, is surrounded by the chaff. So those two things through friction are ground together, laid out on a, on a floor, the chaff and the grain together, and then they're tossed up into the air during the afternoon wind and the wind blows the chaff away and the kernel of the wheat falls back to the ground. So this is the image that the ungodly are just chaff. They're just being blown away by the wind. It was very interesting this week, an article came uh, through social media about Jane Russell. Now, some of you in the room know who I'm talking about. The vast majority of you have no clue who Jane Russell is but you know who Marilyn Monroe is, everybody. Jane Russell and Marilyn Monroe were the two women of the early to mid fifties. I'll just use the word, they were the sex symbols. Jane Russell got married and had a family. Now here was what was identical of Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. They both came from conservative Christian families. When Russell had kids, she realized the emptiness of where she was in Hollywood and she left. That's why you don't know much about her. If you don't know her old movies, you don't know anything about her. She committed herself to her home and her family and to walking and living out her faith. She was interviewed recently and here's what she said. Her and Marilyn Monroe did a very famous movie together. She said, I, I never bought into the whole sex symbol thing even when I was being touted as that. But here's what she said, Marilyn bought it all. She believed constantly there was more, there was more, there was more. And I just think about how many families, even in this church, are trying to raise your kids to be famous, to find some pathway through athletics or singing or something. Is that really what you want for your kids? You really want your kids to be wealthy and famous. When, when you look across the landscape of those people, look at the emptiness of their life. Look at the chaff that we see every day. It's amazing the lies that we believe. But lest we get haughty here, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna remind myself and you, Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you are at one time were separated from Christ. You at one time were chaff. Here's the ultimate end though. It's not just an empty life. It's a horrible future. It's death. The word is perish. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish. All of humanity will be at the judgment. All of you in this room will be there. Some of you are baking on this, that God's gonna come up with a different means of judgment when you get there. That you're gonna define what it is. It goes something like, well, God's a loving God. He'd never judge anybody. Well, he said he's going to. He clearly said it. And listen to me, that's grace that he tells you. That is good news that God's telling you what's coming. He could have not told you and you faced it and still been just. 
But God, by his grace, has told you that a judgment is coming. And he says that sinners will will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. Now, here's what's true. This morning, in this room, Jesus uses an illustration over Matthew 25, where he's talking about this judgment, separating people, the wheat and the goats. I mean, the wheat and the goats. The goats and the sheep. Sorry. Then he also uses the illustration of the wheat and the tares. So in this room right now are wheat and tares. A tear looks like wheat, but it's not. You need to hear me. God says, 2 Timothy 2, 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And he's gonna have a great separation on the day of judgment. He knows. You may be able to fool us, but God knows. God knows who are his. It gives us some indication of who these people are. The way of the righteous. First, they are distinct. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And let's look at the words here for a minute. Blessed, that means happiness, fulfilled, joyful. But blessed is divine favor. It's not something you deserve. God's not blessing you because of what's something you've done. God blesses you as a gift. It's from him. Now, those people who have been blessed by God have some denials in their life, some things that they have turned away from, that they do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They don't sit in the seat of scoffers. They are distinct people, not for the sake of being different, but for the sake of being godly. Romans 12, 2, we are not conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are dependent people who look to Christ for counsel. We are a part of his church so that we stand together with other Christ followers, encouraging one another and seeking together to live our lives as unto Christ. And as we do this, we are proclaiming to an unbelieving and sometimes scoffing world the life-giving message of the gospel. And here's what's unique about believers. We love our neighbors, even our enemies, and especially those who scoff at us. So we left together for the gospel. I was kind of full. Everybody was full. Most of the people that got on the plane to come back to Charlotte, I would say the majority of the people on that plane Friday night had been it together for the gospel. It was a buzz. I've never been on a plane where there was a buzz. And I sat down, this super friendly guy uh, beside of me, We started talking, I laid my book out, which is a technique I use. I laid the book out, but I didn't open it. The title was there and it said Global Theology. It was exactly the book he wanted. He said, like you study theology in the world? Simple answer is this was the most postmodern man I've ever met. I've never met anybody who bought pluralistic postmodernism like this guy did, ever. We had a healthy discussion very respectful to him and he was very respectful to me, but we could not have been any further apart. He went out in front of me off the plane and he paused once we got out in the pathway at Charlotte in the the walkway. (laughs) And y'all know me, I'm not a hugger. All right. I don't try to be rude. I just, I'm just, 
And as clear as a bell, the Spirit of God led me. And I just went over and put my arm around him and I said, thank you for the conversation. Listen to me. He may not remember what the fundamentalist Baptist preacher said to him, but he will remember that I hugged him. We're a distinct people who do things that are contrary to the world. And here's what's sad. Let me just say it before I move off. In the discussion that's going on in the world and Twittersphere and everything else, we're acting like the rest of the world people and we got to stop it. We are God's people. We reflect him. We don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We don't stand in the way of sinners. We don't act like the scoffers. We're his. And we are dependent people. Our delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law we meditate day and night. Now the law of the Lord does not confine itself to the 10 commandments. This means the whole of the Bible and we'll see this as we unfold Psalms. I don't have time to give you a full explanation but you'll see it as we unfold Psalms. We're talking about the whole of the Bible. Now here's what we're to do with the law of the Lord. We delight. Now delight means a feeling of extreme joy and satisfaction. Plummer said, no one can perceive beauty without being affected by it. So you see, blessed this grace of God in our life and delighting in the law of the Lord, they're directly connected to each other. And we got to pause here and think about our life together as a congregation. Several weeks ago, we put out a survey. 232 of you did it. As it related to reading of the Bible, here's what we found that the survey showed. It was anonymous. You didn't put your name on it. So I hope people were honest. 22% of you said you spend less than five minutes in the scripture. 25% said you spend five to 10. 25% said 10 to 20. And 27% said more than 20 minutes. Now, here's what's encouraging. 75% of our congregation is spending five minutes or more a day in the scripture. <laughs> the curious thing we have is why only 232 of you did it. I want to ask you a question. I get this every Sunday. I really enjoyed the message. That's fine. Some people felt afraid to say that after the sermon. But I want to ask you a question. Do you enjoy preaching or do you enjoy the word? Because listen, if all you do is enjoy preaching, you're set up for the better communicator to come along. You with me here? Who may or may not be communicating what you need to hear. What we have is a delight in the word. Now, <clears throat> delight and meditate go together. He delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, the word meditate means to think intently for spiritual purposes, that you're feeding your mind. Now, here's what I can hear coming back to me. Well, I just really don't think. Preacher, I just don't think intently. That's just not kind of who I am. You know, I'm just kind of a simple person. I just don't think deeply. I dis agree with all of you. All of you. I don't care who you are. All of you in this room think intently about what matters to you. Just give you a few examples. I just wrote these down here. I'm not trying to pick on anybody with this. Young people, the time it spent you to pour over the Instagram post before you put out what you did, that was meditation. 
Ladies, I've watched you at Hobby Lobby. You're thinking about, will this look good in my house? Thank God he put it in a woman to care about the house. Lord knows what it looked like if it was up to us. Thank God for that. I'm not, I'm not belittling in this. I'm just saying you do it. You think. Not everybody does this. But guys, I just want you to think about how much meditation a golf game requires. Watch a guy before he's about to hit the ball. He's thinking intently what he's about to do. What matters to us, we meditate on. We think about it. Now, this next sentence is clearly thought through. If you are in Christ, the things of God will matter to you. If you are in Christ, the things of God will matter to you. If you are in Christ, here's what you understand. That without him, you can do nothing. There's a dependence. There's a parallel text to Psalm 1, particularly verse 2. It's Joshua 1.8. I'll just read it for you. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you shall be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. As we move from that text, I just want to hang a thought in your mind. Notice that's written to Yeshua, Joshua. And notice the dependence here and the outcome, which the outcome is a fruit that, that, that those who are the way of righteousness are fruitful people. It's a fruitful dependence. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Now, I've preached through Psalm 1 before and I'm, I'm meditating, I'm thinking through this and I got hung, man. I saw this word clearly, really for the first time. I've even preached this wrong. I preach planted is something you do. You need to plant yourself by the word of God. You ever heard preachers say that about this text? Well, if you listen to me before you heard me say that, that's just wrong. So I was like, what does planted mean? You know what it means? Planted. <laughs> but the tense of the verb, it's a verb. Watch this. It's a passive absolute. It was something that was absolutely done to you. It's not something we did. Planted. By streams of water. So if you put together the whole counsel of God here, planted then would equal conversion. Now, here's what happened to me, and I believe this happens to every believer. When, when you are planted, when you are converted, when you come to faith, the Bible goes, boom! This is the Word of God. It, it opens up, and the result will be fruit in season. It will be evergreen leaves. The, the leaf is not going to wither. The winter, the difficulty is not going to destroy you. There's this ongoing prospering. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now hear me. Don't read that from an American point of view. 
Prosper means, oh goodness, money, 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 money. This is not what he means. He is not talking about an outward prosperity. He's talking about the prosperity of your soul. The context is righteousness. The prospering is righteousness. Now turn to John chapter 15. This is a parallel text in the New Testament. I'm just gonna read it. I'm gonna try not to stop much. Try. I just want you to watch what happens here. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He does that with the word. That it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this is my father glorified. So here's what you're asking God for. God, make me righteous. Not make me wealthy. And when you pray and you ask him this, verse eight, this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now here's the, the outcome of this. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you see the delight? Delight in God. Now here's the ultimate end of the righteous. It's life. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Matthew 25, 46. Now here's my question. This is the most crucial question. Wake up. I'm drawing this thing to a close, but this is the crucial question of the hour. Are they righteous because of what they do? Or let me ask it another way. How did they become righteous? If you misapply this text, you miss the gospel. Now here's the so what. In Psalm chapter one, Jesus Christ is the righteous one. You say, what? Let's go back and look at it. Who is the only one ever to not walk in the counsel of the wicked? Who is the only one ever not to stand in the way of sinners? Who is the only one not to sit in the seat of scoffers? Who is the only one to have pure delight in the law of the Lord and meditate day and night? Who is the only one who is a tree planted by streams of water who has yielded a fruit and a leaf that will never wither? It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the righteous one. It becomes even clearer as you move into Psalm chapter two, who he is, how these two are connected. Think last week as Casey walked you through Luke 24 and when it said in Jesus beginning with starting with the prophets, I gotta believe he stopped off somewhere right in here in Psalm one and two and tied this together. Remember, remember? There were two trees in the garden. Knowledge of the 
good and evil. That's the one God told them not to eat from. But after they ate from that one, he barred them from the second tree, which they were, the implication is, free to eat of before. You know what that tree was? The tree of life. Now watch this. Isaiah 11.1, 1, just listen. Isaiah 11.1. 1. Then shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied, delighted. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, that is Christ, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Isaiah 61, one. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give those them a beautiful headdress instead of asses, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint that they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. You see, friends, Jesus is the tree of life. And because he died in our place, bearing our iniquities, he has now granted to us righteousness and he has planted some new trees. That's every believer in Christ. Oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So against the counsel of the wicked, I say to all present, Jesus Christ is the only way to life. The way of the righteous is the way of the Lord Jesus Christ who decide, described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter three, the most famous verse, notice the connection to Psalm one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not, what? Perish. The way of the wicked is they will perish. God sent his son that we might have eternal life. He did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now turn over to 1 John chapter five toward the end of your Bible. I love John's conclusion here. And we know that the Son of God has come. And don't miss the second part of this. And has given us understanding. Why? So that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So what does that have to do with each other? He's saying, little children, don't listen to the counsel of the wicked. They'll draw you away to idols in a moment. Look to Christ and keep looking to Christ. He is true. 
He is the true God. He is eternal life. I'm going to lead us through a few thoughts, but then we're going to sing a song. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. It has just beautiful language of the explanation of conversion. But it comes to this line and it says, be of sin a double cure. You ever went, what does that mean? Be of sin a double cure. What's the next line of the hymn? Save from wrath and make me pure. Psalm 1. God saves the wicked from perishing through Jesus Christ. He saves us from wrath. And, and, this is good news. He makes us righteous. It's an alien righteousness. It's not our own. It's, it's the righteousness of Christ in which we will stand. But here's what he does in our actual lives while we still live among wickedness. He makes us righteous. When we delight in the law of the Lord and we meditate day and night to where he produces fruit in his people, we are the planting of the Lord. Why? Why? Let's, let's throw off the American gospel that he's doing that to prosper us financially and let's grab hold of the gospel that he prospers his people into righteousness so that God would be glorified. Amen. There are some of you in this room right now who you know, who you know that you are on the way of the wicked. You will perish until you confess your sin and turn of your sin and believe that Jesus Christ is true and life. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. I implore you today, come to Christ. And I plead with you believers, look to the source of your life. I don't think you've ever thought, many of you, what I'm about to say. God has graciously given you a Bible. He didn't have to do that. He has spoken to you and held the recording of this scripture that you might know what he said. Delight, my brothers and sisters. This is the way of life. Let's pray. Oh God, do your work in people. Do your work in people. Call sinners to salvation. Call believers to repentance. May we see you as our very life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of your word. It is like honey. Thank you that you have not left us in darkness. Thank you that today we have seen a great light and that light is Christ. May we now rejoice in you. May, may we rest in the rock of ages. May we hide ourselves in thee. And may we implore each other to do the same. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.